All right, welcome back. It's just me, no guest on today's Journalistic Integrity, but we've got a great show. Going to preview some of the big games coming this weekend. It's a big football weekend in the NFL Sunday night. We've got Patriots Bucks on Saturday. We've got two different top 10 matchups, Arkansas and Georgia. And then we've got Ole Miss versus Alabama, Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban squaring up. And one of those games, I've got a pretty good feeling on which direction it's going to go. So I'm going to fill you guys in on my take on that. And before we get to those college games, we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk a little bit about the NFL rookie quarterbacks. And even though it's just a few games in, it is a little worrisome that all four, just because Trey Lance hasn't played much, so I'm not going to talk about him, but all four of the rookie quarterbacks that have gotten time haven't looked great. And why that's not a great sign for them moving forward and how, how they kind of need to get things together if they want to be long-term starters in the NFL. But before we get to that, let's talk about the NBA. The NBA preseason starts this Sunday. So this past week, past seven, 10 days have been media day and talking to players and stuff like that. And just like in football, and I thought we were, we thought we were finished with this, but we're talking COVID and we're talking people who are not vaccinated. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun to watch. And you just think about the NBA as a whole and the viewership has gone down. That's a real thing. The past, when you look at the finals um, from this past year is right around 12 million. But then in 2017, 2018, 2019, before COVID hit, it was around 18, 19 million. So almost half of what we had a few years before. And it's not like the NBA is going to come crumbling down or it's some massive deal that the ratings have gone down. They're still going to sign big TV deals, still have a ton of money because live sports are still at a premium. People are still willing to pay for them. But at the same time, when the viewership's going down, just think about it. If you were selling a product and you've got great margins and extremely profitable, but you look at the charts and the past five years, less people have been buying your product. And while you're still making a lot of money, it still tells a story of it's becoming less popular. And that's what Adam Silver and people that work in the NBA front offices have seen. And they're worried about it because it's not, you know, a little tick down. It is pretty big. So guess what? The media, the leading story going into it when there's some good storylines going into the season where you've got the Lakers who have Westbrook, Carmelo, LeBron going for his fifth ring, which in my opinion if he gets that fifth ring, that's when you can really have the debate of MJ LeBron. That's when the seesaw, I think, kind of evens out, and it's 50-50 in my mind. Anthony Davis, and you've got the Brooklyn Nets. It seems to me like these two teams, the Nets and the Lakers, are in a collision course to meet in the finals, as long as everyone stays healthy, which I know is a big if for both of these teams because they've got some injury-prone guys on both sides. But just think about that matchup. LeBron going against former teammate Kyrie, his kind of pseudo-rival, KD. Then you've got the Westbrook versus KD rivalry, which I know they dap each other up now and are all friendly. But you know, deep down, Westbrook's like, screw this guy. I mean, we were down, we were up 3-1 on the Warriors. We could have won the finals that year. And not only does KD leave me, but he goes and joins that very team that, that uh, came back and won three straight against us. And then, you know, KD's salty about Westbrook. He was shooting too much. I didn't get the ball enough. He was selfish, all that stuff. And then you've got Harden and Anthony Davis, Carmelo. I mean, it's setting up to, if that's the finals, to shatter a lot of different records. 
a lot of storylines. Te- uh, players moved to, to different teams. There's a lot of different things to talk about. You could even keep talking about the Ben Simmons stuff and, and the Sixers, even though I'm sick of that. I would much rather have that over the COVID talk. And I thought this was finished in the NFL, but it's come out. Bradley Beal, Andrew Wiggins, a couple other people are not vaccinated. And this, because I'm pro-vax, I'm vaccinated. People should get vaccinated because the vaccine works. If you could take all five vaccines, I would be first in line to do it. My argument is the media coverage over it. And it's just become mean-spirited online where these players are being demonized. I mean, Bradley Beal, top 20 player, just getting made fun of by NBA reporters all over the Twitter and Instagram, everywhere. They're getting made fun of. And these people who are making fun of them, these reporters who, first of all, can you talk about basketball? Like you can talk about COVID and say, hey, this player is going to have to sit out a couple games if he doesn't get vaccinated, all that stuff. We get that. Okay, talk about that. That matters with the game. But when it comes to this stuff and they're trying to say, you know, we're trying to protect everybody. Think about it. If you wanted somebody to be on your side of the argument, to convince them to get vaccinated, you know what you wouldn't do? The first thing that you would not do to convince someone is make fun of them and call them dumb on Twitter. Like think if somebody is, you're in an argument with somebody and they're trying to persuade you to their side of the story and what they result to is insulting you, calling you dumb, talking to other people and telling them how dumb you are. You know what you're not going to do is say, you know what? You're right. I am dumb. You're right. I'm on your side. You know, you're going to dig your heels in and be like, screw this person. I may learn that I'm on the wrong side, but you know what I'm not going to do? is give that person the satisfaction of telling them that they're right. There's no way. That's not how humans work. And this is how it's going. And if they really wanted to change something, they would privately send them a DM, not embarrass them on Twitter and say, hey, I get it. Here, here are the facts. It's working. It's not, it doesn't spread as much, not as uh, severe when you have the vaccine, all that stuff. But instead, it's all the insults. It's Oh, Andrew Wiggins, it's a weird time to play defense. Just all these quips on Twitter that make it really annoying. And some of these people you learn, some of these sports media people, you kind of watch them and see their tweets for a little bit, even some of the main people. And you're like, wait a minute, all of your takes are just what is in vogue, whatever way the wind is blowing, whatever you know you're going to get the greatest Twitter applause for. And if you're not on Twitter... It's not hard to figure out what plays on Twitter and, and what does not. And take my word for it, you could be on the app for 10 days and you would be like, oh, I get it. You, you say this stuff, you get clapped for it. And if you don't, if you go outside of this, you're going to get insulted and called names and all that stuff. And so a lot of these people are just, I mean, you could have a computer algorithm do what they do and just say, hey, computer al- algorithm, take the positive sentiment tweets, aggregate it and tweet it out. It would be whatever a lot of these media reporters tweet. But a lot of these people are just doing it for the applause. And it's also just completely missing the point. I mean, 90% of the players in the NBA are vaccinated. Several teams are 100% vaccinated. And that's not the story. That is the story. But the story the reporters are telling you is it's people are not getting vaccinated. No, it's a couple individuals aren't getting vaccinated. They should be. Just imagine if... If you're a young NBA fan, maybe you tuned in for the first time last year. You saw Giannis win his first NBA championship. You're geared up for another year. You're looking to see what the storylines are, what players on what team, how do they look in their new jerseys. You're on Twitter trying to look at information. You follow the main NBA people, and you're like, oh, wait, this sport 
wait, is this even a sport or is this just, are we just talking about COVID and criticizing players, not for their play on the basketball court, but for other stuff? This is not what I signed up for. I signed up for basketball, actually. I want to watch basketball. And you know Adam Silver and those people are, are not happy with the way this has turned out. It's supposed to be a celebration of the game going into it the first couple weeks. You think of the NFL, the Hall of Fame game. Everyone's so excited about the NFL. And it got me thinking about the NBA where with so much competition and and I was just thinking, just think of your average show so I was thinking of mayor of East Town I give that right around a seven seven and a half out of ten but think of whatever your personal average to good show is on Netflix or whatever when would you ever watch a regular season NBA game over that show never maybe once if your team's playing like another exciting team I, I get if you're a really big NBA fan but to the average NBA fan average sports fan there's really not that many games in the regular season you'd rather watch over just an average Netflix show. And then it got me thinking, what are the, you know, what are the memorable regular season games in the NBA? And there's a few where players score a bunch of points. So the first one that came to mind was Kobe's 81 points. And then Steph Curry's game-winning half-court three against the Thunder. I think that was like 2016. And then Kobe's was in 2006, 2005 or 2006. And there's just not that many more memorable regular season games that I can think of. And even a bad Thursday night game in the NFL, you might gamble on it. You might have somebody in fantasy on it. And you're probably going to watch at least some of it because the NFL is awesome. And it's scarcity. There's only so many games in the regular season. And it's not fair to compare the NBA to the NFL. But it's just I'm just trying to convey the message that we should really focus on the good parts of the NBA, how awesome some of the players are, how exciting the season's going to be. It should be a celebration of the sport, of the game, going into the season, even if it's a little bit corny. Uh, but there should be some sort of, you know, the NFL has a Hall of Fame game. They're always celebrating. It always seems like every single year it's like the 100th anniversary or the 75th anniversary of something. And they bring their old-time players on the field, do all this, celebrate the game, make cool videos, um, you know, we've seen the video with Brady returning to the uh, New England hype video, Sunday night video that's made its rounds on Twitter. There should be something like that for the NBA. It should be a positive note. Let's like enter the season, which, you know, we have LeBron James in, in the league, who's the second best player of all time. And eventually he's going to retire and you can't just rely on the LeBron storylines to carry the NBA. And so I just wish, you know, I like the NBA. I love basketball. I just wish we were entering the season on a more positive basketball note. Now let's shift to a sport that doesn't have any viewership problems or really any problems at all, and that is the NFL. And I want to talk some quarterbacks. And before we get to the rookie quarterbacks, got to talk about Big Ben and Ben Solak, who's an NFL writer for The Ringer, had a really good article about Big Ben going over his last game against the Bengals. And so they have a new offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh. He's trying all these new motions and shifts and trying to make it easier on the quarterback so he knows you know what defense they're in. Makes the reads a little bit easier. But when it comes to, down to it, Big Ben can't make the throws. And he also doesn't trust himself anymore to make 
the deep down the field throws. And it showed a couple times in the games against the Bengals where he would get the look that he wanted to, where it'd be one-on-one deep route to Claypool or Juju. And he would look at it, he would see it, but he wouldn't throw it. And it's almost like he knew if I throw this, it's gonna, I'm going to underthrow it and it's going to be an interception. So his, his confidence seems to be lost. And if he's not able to have a real clean pocket and able to get a nice hitch in and really put his body into some of these deep throws, it doesn't seem like he trusts it. And it's holding the offense back. And I don't know what the Steelers are going to do. It's a weird situation with Big Ben. But if you're a Steelers fan at this point, you're almost just kind of hoping that they lose because they lose or they put in Haskins. Because if you keep Big Ben in, you're going to go, what, like 7-10? and 10? Um, If you lose, you can get a better draft pick. And it looks like the Steelers are going to have to get a uh, drafted quarterback next year, uh, hopefully in the first round, if you're a Steelers fan. Or you put in Haskins and you say, hey, we know you, know, you weren't great with the football team, but you've got the arm. You're not scared to throw it downfield. And, I mean, Haskins, and this is the point I'm about to get to, he only started 13 games with the football team. It's not like he's got this huge sample size of not being a good quarterback. He's got the arm strength. He'll at least give those big receivers a chance downfield, and that's something Big Ben's not uh, doing right now. But I was thinking, even a guy like Jared Goff or Gardner Minshew, who they could have traded a sixth-round pick for, would have been really helpful. And I was thinking, man, if you just plug in Jared Goff, who's you know an average, probably slightly worse than average quarterback, put him right around 20th overall, what would the Steelers team look like? I mean, I think 11-6 and six would be a real record. Uh, you know, probably the favorite would be 11 wins, maybe 10-7 and seven at worst. But with that defense, those weapons, even if you have a, you know, an average quarterback, this team could win a lot of games. And, you know, they're, they're being held back by Big Ben, and there's, there's really no way around that. But let me transition to uh, some of the rookie quarterback things. And I touched on it a little bit when I mentioned Haskins, but we're seeing these rookie quarterbacks. They're young. They're coming in. They're struggling. Um, you know, the Justin Fields thing, he was bad, but it was also the more I saw some of it and, uh, you know, some of the sacks I saw were him just holding on to the ball too long, but he got sacked nine times. And so I saw all nine of those and I was like, wow, that, that Cleveland defensive line is just running right through the Bears offensive line. And once you do that, to a quarterback, especially to a rookie quarterback, where he's like, you know, I've got no faith in my offensive line. It really throws things off kilter. But we look at these rookie quarterbacks. We're just going to talk about four of them since Trey Lance hasn't gotten much play time yet. And you look at them, you're like, yeah, they're young. They're gonna they're gonna get better and you know, growing pains and all that stuff. But in the NFL, and you look at the history of rookie quarterbacks, second year quarterbacks, once they start playing, I mean, the time starts ticking. If you don't produce in your first year or first year and a half teams are ready to get rid of you and it's so strange because you're this new shiny toy we look at Haskins from Ohio State do you remember the Haskins stuff I mean Giants fans were furious they didn't draft Haskins sixth overall and he fell to the football team but Haskins threw for 4,900 yards 50 touchdowns eight interceptions coming out of Ohio State and we're like this guy is awesome he's got a huge arm comes in for the football team and doesn't look good and two years in He's, boom, already relegated to a backup quarterback in the NFL. We look at Paxton Lynch for the Broncos, drafted in the first round. Starts four games. Boom, out of the league. Josh Rosen, 
starts 13 games for a bad Arizona team, starts a couple games for Miami, three games. So a total of 16 games started for Rosen, boom, relegated to a backup. No chance of starting again. We take a look at Tua, starts nine games last year, goes six and three. Two games this year, goes one and one, 11-5 TD INT ratio. Not relegated to a backup yet, but people are ready. I mean, I don't think Tua's going to be good, but I still think he should have a little more of a chance. He's played just over half of an NFL season, 11 games, and he's already like, is this guy already relegated as a backup quarterback? When, you know, just a year, 18 months ago, he was incredible. He's Alabama. This guy's amazing. You know, throwing it deep. He had that throw against Georgia. And then I mentioned Haskins, 13 games, 12 TDs, 14 interceptions, goes 3-10. and 10. He has less than an NFL season of work, and boom, at 23 years old, you're backup quarterback. You have no chance. So what I'm saying is these quarterbacks, while they seem young and it's exciting when you see a good throw from them, we saw them in the preseason, everyone's so amped up about them. These guys don't have that much time. They don't have time to go two seasons, three seasons to kind of figure things out. And they've got to start showing bright spots early, halfway through the first season. If they go a whole season, 16 games without showing any good signs and they're still making bad mistakes, GMs feel the pressure, head coaches feel the pressure to start winning. And the quickest way you can start winning is fixing the quarterback position. And guess what? There's a new crop of new shiny quarterback toys coming in the draft that they're going to be looking at, especially if they have a high draft pick. Daniel Jones has been the rare exception, so he started 29 games. He has been pretty good. Uh, he does fumble a ton, but 37 touch, touchdowns, 22 interceptions, 8-21 and 21 as a starter. His team stinks, and he shows flashes, the size, the, the athleticism. Um, he, he fumbles way too much, but, I mean, he's gotten a pretty long leash. And if he isn't able to turn it around in this year three and win some games for the Giants, then they'll probably move on. And let's just go back to last year. The two quarterbacks from last year that we know are going to be good are Herbert and Burrow. And guess what they were doing even within the first couple weeks of them starting? They're putting up numbers. They're throwing deep touchdown passes. Even Burrow on a Bengals team that wasn't good he was still succeeding. He still looked really good up until that injury. And Herbert came in with no notice when the Chargers doctors stabbed Tyrod Taylor in the lung, which we haven't heard much about that. Definitely NDA action going on over there. But Herbert comes in and immediately in his first game, you're like, whoa, this guy's good. We haven't really seen that yet with any of these rookie quarterbacks. And my prediction is, you know, we have seen slight Good moments from Lawrence. A couple deep balls, looking pretty good. His team's just bad. So my prediction is out of the five rookie quarterbacks drafted in the first round, I think Lawrence is going to be good. And then I think one of the rest of the four quarterbacks is going to be good. So I think it's going to be two out of five. I'm not quite ready to pick which out of the four is going to be that second good one. We'll see in a couple weeks. But let's shift to the last thing before I get into a couple picks for the NFL and a little college football. We've got five 3-0 teams in the NFL. It doesn't seem like there's a dominating team in the league this year. There's no 14-2 Chiefs team, no Patriots team that could go undefeated, anything like that. So it looks like Mercury Morris and the 72 Dolphins are going to be popping champagne pretty early in the season and remain the only undefeated team in NFL history. 
But the five three and teams, we got the Raiders, the Broncos, the Rams, Panthers, and Cardinals. And so statistically, the past like 25 years, I think it was 85% of three and teams make it. So we've got five. So, but I think only three make the playoffs. So the Broncos are the first three and team. I do not think makes the playoffs. They've had a really easy schedule so far. They've played the Vikings in, uh, no, they've played the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Jets. So three of the worst teams in the league, and they're in the hardest division. So they've got the Raiders twice, they've got the Chargers twice, and they've got the Chiefs twice. So that's six games where, if you're a Broncos, they'd probably go like, what, two and four in those uh, division games. Next one, Carolina Panthers are the second 3-0 and team. I do not think makes the playoffs. They've got a really tough end-of-the-year schedule. So their last four games, they've got Bills, Bucks, Saints, Bucks, And so those last four games, they could end 0-4. Their first few games have been easy. They've had the Texans and the Jets. They had a nice one against the Saints, but we don't, we're not quite sure about that Saints team yet. But they've got the Cowboys. They've got to play a Vikings team that looks a little bit better. They've got the Patriots, the Cardinals the Dolphins. So they've got some tough games and we're not sure about them yet. And Sam Darnold, we're not sure yet. I think they're going to be good. They seem kind of like an eight, nine, nine and eight team. You know, they've got, they've got nine and eight energy to them as the kids would say. So I think, I think they're on a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a peak right now being three and zero. But then the Rams are legit. Cardinals, I think are legit. And then the Raiders where you've got to give Gruden some props and Derek Carr because the first few years you're not sure about it and you know we're still not sure about this Raiders team yet but what we do know is that offense is really good and Derek Carr is playing his best football and and we know John Gruden is on the offensive side of things so you got to give them some props for you know having one of the more explosive offenses so far through three weeks and then on the flip side of things we've got Five zero and three teams. So five three and zero, five zero and three teams. Jaguars, Jets, Colts, Lions, and Giants. And so the one team, the one zero and three team, I think could make the playoffs is the Colts. So they've got a new quarterback and Carson Wentz. Obviously, it hasn't looked great. It hasn't looked bad either. They could have won a couple of those games, but it comes down to the AFC South. And do you trust the Tennessee Titans? to go 10 and seven or something. They seem like they're right around 500 too with that defense. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Colts uh, somehow come back from 0 and three and win that division, Um, which leads me to this Sunday Colts dolphins. And this is a big, like, are we going to compete for the division type game? Dolphins are one and two. The bills are looking really good. They got to get this game and the Colts at 0 and three, you really can't drop to 0 and four and expect to make the playoffs uh, in that one. A couple other games this Sunday I wanted to point out. Cardinals-Rams, two 3-0 teams squaring off. It's in L.A., which, you know, that Rams-Bucks game, it was weird. There's That crowd was pretty rowdy. There are famous people there. It seems like NFL football in L.A. is going to work, and it's you know going to be one of the things to do because it's so many things to do in L.A. Uh, outside of sports. And so many different college teams and, and pro teams, the Lakers, the Dodgers, all that stuff. But they had a pretty solid home field advantage, and it was, it's a cool stadium. So Cardinals versus Rams, Kyler Murray on the turf running around. That's a 4 o'clock, classic 4 o'clock Fox game, uh, which is going to be awesome 
to see. And then we've got another NFC West matchup. So they're playing both teams. All four teams are playing against one another. Seahawks 49ers in San Francisco. 49ers coming off a tough loss to the Packers. Seahawks really bad loss to the Vikings where they're up like 17-7. And then Kirk Cousins just diced them up for the next two and a half quarters. And then um, Ravens-Broncos. Are the Broncos legit game? That's a CBS game at 4 o'clock. And you look, the Broncos played a bunch of cupcakes. So let's see what they can do against a decent team. And then the big game, Bucks at Patriots. Bucks favored six by six and a half on the road. We know the story, Belichick, Brady, and we've got the Seth Wickersham book coming out between them. And it seems like it was a lot more contentious than we thought. And, you know, I mean, Belichick, crazy competitor. You know, last year seeing Brady win the championship in his first year with the new team, while also the Patriots being on a down year, it killed him. It killed him. And this Patriots team isn't very good. So it's almost like this is their Super Bowl. And you know Belichick's going to have some tricks up his sleeves. And it'll be interesting to see the Bucks defense because they've gotten sliced and diced for the first few weeks. Now they play a Patriots offense with a rookie quarterback, not a ton of weapons. And they should keep these guys, I don't know, under 17 points. I think Brady is extremely motivated for this game. They're also coming off a loss. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what Belichick can do if he's got a couple of tricks up his sleeves to get some points on the board or some sort of uh, defensive style. Brady's been quoted and it's saying, you know, I know what the Patriots are talking about in their meetings and all that stuff, trying to get in the head of uh, the Patriots team. So that'll be an awesome Sunday night game. And that's going to break. I think that'll break, you know, I don't know what the highest rated Sunday night game is, but you'd think Brady going against Belichick would break, you know, all the Sunday night records. So we'll see about that. But let's go into my big three picks. We struggled last week, 0-3. So we're now down to 4-5 and overall. But I feel a bounce back week right here. Week three is kind of weird. So let's get into it right now. First game, I mentioned this earlier, Colts at Dolphins. Dolphins favored by a point and a half. This is desperation time for an 0-3 Colts team that had its sights on the playoffs so I like the Colts to win in Miami with a backup quarterback in Brissett. Give me the Colts plus one and a half. Next game, Seattle in San Francisco, NFC West matchup. 49ers only favored by two and a half at home. I watched a lot of that Seattle game last week. Their defense is terrible. They're blowing a bunch of coverages. They weren't tackling. Even Jamal Adams wasn't able to cover the tight end. I like Kittle to have a big game. 49ers coming off a loss. Good coach. They win by at least three points. I think that's a pretty low line in San Francisco. And the last game, Packers at home, minus six and a half against the Steelers, and still Big Ben at quarterback. Steelers get lose by two scores to a Bengals team at home. That isn't even that good. Packers only giving six and a half less than a touchdown. I see the Packers scoring 31 points. I don't think the Steelers can score enough to get it within a touchdown. So give me the Packers minus six and a half. So those are my big three picks for the week. To recap, Green Bay minus six and a half. Indianapolis plus one and a half against Miami. 
And then San Francisco, minus two and a half at home against the Seahawks. Now let's finish off with some college football. Just going to do a couple minutes because I went a little bit longer on a couple other segments. So I said at the top, there's a game that I feel like I know what's going to happen, and that's the Arkansas at Georgia game. I've watched all the uh, Arkansas games. I'm kind of an Arkansas fan. I've got some family there. I visit there every few years. And so the past two games, they've had two big wins against Texas and Texas A&M. But the thing is, the Texas quarterback that started, he was not good. And he's been replaced by a backup. And Texas is much better right now. And then Arkansas beat A&M, who had their backup quarterback in. Haynes King is hurt. And I'm forgetting the Texas A&M quarterback's name, the backup who played. But he's, like, bad. Like, not good at all. He's, like, tripping over linemen, like, sacking himself. So they beat A&M. It looked like a really big win because A&M's top 10. Now they're going to Georgia. Georgia's got, you know, arguably the most talent on their roster. We saw him against Clemson. I mean, those receivers, I've never seen receivers block as hard as those guys do in the run game. And I was like, okay, Arkansas is definitely going to get blown out. I thought the line would have been like eight and a half, nine or 10, but the line's 18 and a half in Georgia's favor. So I was going to come in here and say it was a blowout. I look at the line. It's like, okay, well, that's what everybody is saying is it is going to be a blowout. Uh, Arkansas is probably a little bit overrated and it gets out of hand. So I was going to say between 17 and 21 points, that's what the line says too. So no breaking news here, but I think, you know, once Arkansas gets down a score or two and they're trying to throw it, climb back into it, I think, I think some turnovers and some bad things are going to happen. The other top 10 matchup, I thought it was the uh, Ole Miss Alabama one, but Ole Miss is actually ranked 12th. So the Cincinnati Notre Dame game, NBC, I think Cincinnati wins. Notre Dame hasn't been very good, and they beat Wisconsin last week, but Wisconsin has no quarterback. Notre Dame barely beat Florida State early on. I think Cincinnati's legit, and they've got a lot to play for. You know, they, they've been left out before. They're not a Power 5 school. I think we get the best of Cincinnati, and, and they come out and beat Notre Dame. Ole Miss, Alabama. Bama favored by 14.5. I really have no idea. This is a weird game because you don't know about this Ole Miss team just yet. I mean, they scored a ton of points, but you know, you look at who they've played, Tulane, Louisville, Austin P, teams that do not have great defenses. So it's going to be exciting. Matt Corral is the Heisman favorite right now, throwing it around. But I mean, we saw the Florida game, the, the way Florida was able to move it against Alabama was running the ball. And I'm not sure that's going to be Ole Miss's game plan. I think they're going to be throwing it around, but we've seen it happen before. And uh, these upsets, athletic, Exciting quarterbacks, a Johnny Manziel, a Bo Wallace from Ole Miss, Bo Nix for Auburn, beat Alabama as well. So whenever you've got an exciting, athletic quarterback at the helm, that's the recipe to beat Alabama. And that's what Ole Miss has. And I'm sure Lane Kiffin uh, has been shelving some of his big, surprising plays. Uh, I wish this game was in Oxford, so I think Alabama wins, but uh, I'm not sure how much. Hopefully it's close because that, that would be an exciting game to watch. All right, that wraps it up for today's podcast episode. I'll be back on Tuesday and I think we'll be having a pretty great guest next Thursday. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you everyone for listening and enjoy your weekend. 